Welcome to Season of the Bitch, the leftist podcast that knows that cowboy is gender neutral. Today we have Laura. Zoe. And today we are talking about cowboys and cowboying and being gay. Yes, we're covering it all. It's going to be awesome. Lucky for us, we have a really cool guest who is a lesbian and a cowboy here to talk about all of the things. Welcome, Lucy. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Welcome. Um, Lucy, do you want to take a minute and introduce yourself however you feel most comfortable? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm Lucy, and I've been working as a ranch hand or a cowboy p- type person for about three years. Um, I did not grow up from it, as I don't sound like it. I'm actually from the UK, but I've been in America for over 10 years. Um, I work mainly on like large-scale grass-fed beef operations, and within that, kind of regenerative ranching. So it's all about using cows to restore grasslands and build topsoil and everything. It's very cool, yes. and a lot of that involves horseback stuff. Um, that's amazing. And I feel like just to give our listeners a little bit of background, I feel as though I kind of know you just through the internet. Um, (laughs) Lucy is smart as hell and, uh, she connected with me a long while ago about American studies programs and is also someone who I just like admire through the internet. So I'm really fucking stoked to be chatting with you now. Um, Right back at all, y'all. <laughs> yes. I also, like, I'm just, like, just gay cowboys. Let's, I'm just into it. It's all a good thing. <laughs> Laura, I love that every episode is, like, the intro, you just telling our guests how much we love them, which is very true. <laughs> I just, I love it. <laughs> You're always just like, before we get started, can we tell you that we fucking love you? <laughs> Yeah, guilty. The podcast. Guilty is charged. <laughs> I, you know, people are pretty amazing. When most people are terrible, but we get to interview like really fucking awesome people on a consistent basis. Like it reminds me that not everything is fucking horrible all the time. So it's kind of nice. <laughs> yeah. Um. So let's start with the basics. What is a cowboy and what is cowboying? So a cowboy is a hired agriculture worker who looks after cattle, uh, primarily from horseback, that kind of defines them. And a cowboy and their crew, if they have one, will herd cattle in and out of grazing areas for seasonal events like branding and calving. And then also if you're rotating cattle for grazing, then you can do that from horseback too. Um, They are a little bit different from a rancher. A rancher will own the land typically and a cowboy is hired to work on it. And obviously nowadays, um, as ranching has grown in America, there's a lot of overlap. You can't really do one without the other. Mm. But a cowboy is specifically horseback, as opposed to like being on a four-wheeler or a mud dirt bike or anything. And um, some cowboys kind of, there's a reputation of being like, oh, if it's not on a horseback, I don't want to do it. But <laughs> like, if you're, if you're working on a ranch, a good cowboy would be able to do anything, whether that's sorting cows or putting in irrigation or anything like that. Yeah. Um, I know literally nothing about this. And so when I was reading <laughs> through this, I was like, Damn. I was like, do people like herd things on a four wheeler? <laughs> yeah, you can. Um, 
and depending on um, what kind of the land you're working on, different things will work better. So if you're on like flat Colorado prairie, a four-wheeler works pretty well. But wow. if you're in more mountainous area or area that's rocky, sometimes you just need a horse. For sure. And it's actually, cowboying is really cool because people often think that it's kind of dying or that people don't really do it anymore. But mm. people have actually been saying that since like the 1870s, like cowboy has been dying for like over 100 years and it's still here. Wow. And um, using horseback means that you can be really low stress on the animals. And um, it's also just really cool to be part of this like really, really ancient tradition. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, can you tell us a little more about the specific skills that you have in this arena? Like, I'm really curious about how this actually goes down. Yeah. So if you're working on a ranch, you're kind of doing one of three things. You'll either be moving animals or checking the fence or checking on the animals after they've been moved and the fence is fixed. So you could be moving them from one pasture to another, or if you're doing like a gather in the fall, because all the, all the big events kind of happen in the fall or the spring. So you could be gathering the cows to get ready for weaning or get ready for preg checking or anything. And then um, so that's, the, that's the horseback work. That is what you think of when you think of a cowboy, like on a hillside. Mm. Um, and then if you're moving pasture, you need to run out to the pasture they're going to move into the day before and make sure that the fences are all up. There's nothing that they're going to run into. And that's normally barbed wire electric fencing. And it's not very glamorous to do. You're just kind of alone by yourself in a pasture with like, a pair of pliers Mm. but it's very satisfying and kind of fun and I always like that and then the other main thing that you do will be like running checks so once the cows are where they're supposed to be you got to go check on them to make sure they've got water and they've not gone out anywhere and everyone's doing okay and so you just get to hang out with cows and chat to them basically okay so you you have like conversations with cows like Cows are very smart. They you absolutely can have conversations with them. That's amazing. Yeah, uh, one of my, yeah, one of my favorite things that cows do is like they absolutely don't give a fuck about anything. <laughs> and sometimes they'll like they'll be like chewing really really slowly and they'll just be staring you dead in the eye. And then and then this cow can just she'll just lift up her tail and start peeing while chewing. <laughs> while staring at you. All right, girl. I see you. You're fine. Just like vigorous eye contact, cattle yeah. edition. Hell yeah. Yeah, it's, it's great. Absolutely. And yeah, and then besides that, cowboying specifically, um, there's a phrase that cowboy is a verb, not a noun. So if you if you kind of call yourself a cowboy, which before anyone who do- is in this industry gets on my ass, I'm just a hand. Sometimes people get like... <laughs> You ain't no cowboy. Yo, like, if anyone's going to get on your ass, they have the coven to deal with. So, okay, like, okay. don't worry about it. <laughs> um, but cowboying as, like, a lifestyle involves a lot of, like, you could be rodeoing, so traveling around um, competing. You could be writing cowboy poetry. There's actually the National Cowboy Poetry Gathering just happened, like, a week ago in what? Elko, Nevada. It's fantastic. I love that. Yeah. Um, you could be kind of, there's all sorts of handmade things you can do with cowboying, like leatherworking, silversmithing, you can braid rawhide and horsehair to make tools for yourself. Mm. And then you can write music and cowboy music is actually very, quite different. It's kind of its own genre from country music. And because it talks specifically about cowboying and it sounds a little bit different. Sometimes it's got more of a, um, a sound more like Central America and Mexico, if it's kind of, if it's the good stuff. And very exciting news in the cowboy country scene is that like one of the top five albums right now is a country is a cowboy album it's by 
Adrian Buckaruga Brannon called Desert Divine Mama, and everyone should go listen to it because oh, it's really good. Fuck yeah. And Adrian Buckaruga was really cool. She's like a bronc writer and a homesteader, and she like writes her own music. She's open for Willie Nelson. She's also like very pro like domestic abuse surviving and uh, everything else. She's incredible. Hell yeah. Shout out to her. She doesn't know who I am, but I love her. <laughs> <laughs> Um, how how was cowboy introduced in the United States? And we have a tangential question from uh, Twitter user Ambria. Um, how did <laughs> how did ranchera culture come here and take on a life of its own? So herding cattle over large grasslands on horseback came from the Iberian Peninsula, like hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Mm. And horse culture a lot of times originates from Persia and um, Arabia, and um, that's kind of where most modern horse culture comes from, really. When the Spanish invaded Central and South America, it, um, they brought that tradition with them. And that's grown and adapted into vaquero and chado culture in Mexico and Central America. And then in South America, they've got gaucho, which is a kind of a whole other thing. And then from Mexico, the vaqueros kind of spread up through the Southwest into the Rocky Mountains and the Great Plains. And with kind of the catalytic trade in the 1700s, it just kind of kept evolving and moving and it kind of became what we call it today. Mm. That's awesome. I don't know if, if that was it. Sorry. No, no, sorry. Cut it out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like that's, I, I was also curious about that. So I was glad Ambria kind of brought that up as well. Um, and I was curious if we could talk about like the history and mythology of like the cowboys versus Indians narrative, like, how much of this was popularized in pop culture? How much of it is real? Like, we obviously know colonial fuckheads on horseback massacred <laughs> and did, like, other terrible things to indigenous populations from the start of colonization in North America. But also as it relates in this context with Western expansion, expansion under manifest fucking destiny. So I guess I'm just curious if there's, like, any reckoning with that sordid history in the cowboy community like, do people understand the role or influence of cowboy culture on indigenous populations? Or is it just, like, not something that's really present in, like, that community? Um, so I think the first thing is that the idea of cowboys versus Indians is really a false dichotomy. Cowboys mm. are, in, like, Indians are cowboys just as much as white people. And they have been for probably longer. Along with, their, like, Native Americans are among, with black and um, Latinx populations and that they're just completely forgotten about in cowboying. People think it's just white people, but it's not, and it never has been. Mm. So, um, like, plenty of uh, Native Americans do exactly the same cowboying stuff that, that I would do or that anyone I work with does. And um, so I think a lot of that imagery of, like, kind of cowboys and Indians having, like, a face-off, it probably has happened. I'm not an expert on it, but um, as far as I know, I think a lot of the like the actual violence was from the Indians versus the U.S. Army, mm. and like a lot of the actual slaughter was by the army rather than just individuals. Um, sounds sounds accurate. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, but plenty of white cowboys will never come across a native cowboy. Like mm. if you live in Texas, there's literally three reservations here, according to the Google search I did half an hour ago. Um, <laughs> so you just will never come across native populations ever. And so you just can go your whole life without really meeting one. Mm. Um, but I, like in New Mexico and other places, there's an, 
the Dakotas, in Oklahoma, obviously there's a lot more reservations. So you, it's just kind of something that's much more common. One of the places I worked at uh, about a year ago was on an Apache reservation. And my boss, who was white, had leased land from the tribe, mm. which was simultaneously weird and cool because I felt very weird that like him and me were the only white people on the whole reservation, which was like 60 square miles. Um, but they, he had a good relationship with them and I guess it worked. And, but the tribe was, they were all doing cowboy work and they had been for decades and decades and they came to help us with our work and we came to help them. And they're, they were cool. Their cattle brand was like a bow and arrow, which nice. was really cool. And yeah, they just like come hang out and drink beer and move cows. And it was, we had a good time. <laughs> one of the tribe elders was this guy Riley and um he we were like cooking dinner one time and my boss was trying to get behind him in the um in the house and Riley immediately goes he's like whoa 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 Sam he goes I don't let no white people walk behind me is bad luck <laughs> we were like, yeah, it probably is he's probably exactly right yes White people are definitely bad luck. Yeah. White people <laughs> have been bad news from the start. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how does cowboying differ regionally? Um, so there's kind of two main schools in the United States of cowboying schools and like heavy quotation marks. There's Buckaroo and Cowpuncher. And Buckaroo is actually it's an basically white people trying to say the word vaquero. <laughs> is what the- That is amazing. And because it's so dumb. Yeah. Um, and so vaquero, all, so there's kind of three really. There's vaquero, buckaroo, and cowpuncher. And they're all kind of distinct styles. Um, vaquero is mainly practiced in California. And it's closest to the Mexican tradition and probably what they still do in Mexico. That's probably also changed a lot too. I've never been to Mexico. I don't know. Um, but the vaquero tradition is mainly characterized by the way they train their horses. It's just in this very particular way. And vaquero attack is really cool. It's extremely beautiful and well-made. And they have lots of hand, um, handmade rawhide and horsehair braiding, um, which becomes part of what they use to train their horses to. And then fancy silver work, like really beautiful spurs and bits and things. Wow. And it's really awesome. And so I think... At least when I worked in California, there was a kind of a lot of acknowledgement for its Mexican heritage. And there was a huge Latinx culture down there that was still ranching. Buckaroo is practiced more in the Great Basin area, which is like Nevada and Oregon and Utah with bits of like California, Idaho and Wyoming. And just like the name, it's it's kind of like Vaquero, but a bit whiter. (laughs) (laughs) It always seems... Like, it looks very similar to Vaquero, and a lot of, like, the way they work and the way they train the horses is, is, like, very similar or identical to the way that Vaqueros do it. But there always seems to be a little bit less, like, direct acknowledgement of mm. its, like, Mexican and Central American heritage. Um, but kind of the way that they the way they look, they're kind of distinct styles because basically when you're cowboying, when you're ranching, like, you don't really ever clock off. Like, your work is your life and your life is your work. So you wear the same stuff every day and you use your tools literally every day. So um, you want that stuff to A, be really, really nice that you like and make sure that like it fits for you and your area and what you're doing. Um, so everything that a cowboy wears, like head to toe, has a purpose. Mm. So 
even like if you think of like a pair of like chaps, like they have like fringe on the side. If you if you're like riding and something on your saddle breaks, you can cut a little piece of that fringe off and use it to tie something back together. Oh my god! So, like, <laughs> is super practical. And here I so, thought the fringe was just like really epic style. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> It's actually, that's actually how a lot of it happens. So everything starts off being very, very practical. And then people just like to embellish it. So if you can, it's called, if it's punchy, punchy is like cool. It's like cowboy swagger. <laughs> so if you can do, if someone says that's pretty punchy or that looks punchy, that means like it looks very cowboy. So it could have been plain, but because of the, you, well, you wore it separately or something like that. So now it's punchy. <laughs> Um, and so uh Vaquero and Vaquero, a couple things that they look like is like instead of like the classic hat that we always think of um the hat that you often kind of associate with them is going to be flat brimmed with a round crown on it mm. it actually looks cool it's very nice and they um they have like a really deep-seated saddle with a slick fork so it doesn't go out at the sides the horn just goes straight down and that um that's because when you're roping in that kind of country that you get in the uh, Great Basin, you often want to be able to sit really, really deep in your saddle. And so having a saddle that's designed like that helps. And then they'll also have much, much longer ropes, like 60 feet long ropes, because you've got big open country. And if you start chasing a steer, it could keep on running for a while. So you want to make sure you've got some slack. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> and yeah, even though I'm from Texas, I like buckaroo style kind of the best it's just because it's <laughs> just because it's punchy and it looks cool hell yeah and i like the way they i like the way the horses work yeah um so the other one from that is in texas and specifically texas but also like kind of oklahoma and new mexico kind of that kind of country you get like cow puncher is what it's called and that's a different style and actually uh there is a kind of a, there was a separation like years ago and when like Texas decided kind of Texas cowboy workers decided that like what the Mexicans were doing was like too Mexican. And so they kind of distinctly made a break to work in their own style. And because white people stay being white people today. <laughs> must, must <Yeah>. stay. <laughs> must stay white people. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but, um, Cow puncher is looks a little bit different. They kind of wear the hats that we associate more with like um, John Wayne and Clint Eastwood. Sure. Um, a lot of times in, so if someone's really cow punchy, they'll have like a hat that basically makes like a 90 degree angle at the sides. And that's basically, <laughs> which always looks a little weird, but it's basically because you've got more trees and more like thorny brush in those kind of countries. So you want to make sure if you're ducking through trees, your hat's not going to get snagged so much. Mm. And the ropes are a little shorter, the saddles will have slightly smaller horns, and it's just kind of all been adapted for having kind of more close quarters and less just like thousands and thousands of acres out in the desert, which you still get. And like they all, both of these all kind of like overlap, and it's rarely that you'll find someone who's like just one or just the other, but sure. those are kind of the goals. How is cowboying practiced today? I'm also in the beginning, you mentioned regenerative, regenerative ranching, which I hadn't heard of. So I'm interested in how that specifically is practiced. Is that like kind of sus like a sustainable way of ranching? Yeah. Um, so it's kind of, it's part of the whole kind of sustainable ag movement. Um, people use the word regenerative on the grounds that like in a lot of places, the land is kind of so degraded and so terrible that you can't just sustain it. You have to regenerate it. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but it's basically it works a lot with kind of grasslands and things like that because it's basically the idea of using um grazing animals and ruminants to mimic at least in the u.s to mimic the pattern of bison so like grass grasslands and bison evolved together and so um obviously when you overgraze you just put like a bunch of cows on you never move them the grass is obviously going to suffer but if you just take all the cows off it's not going to do the grass isn't going to do well either it needs animals to be eating it so it's kind of uh looking at a way of it's a whole way of using your ranch and your animals to um, get native grass species back and build biodiversity and topsoil and doing that you can actually kind of increase water retention so um, you get less dust runoff and you can also get like the cows like it better and it's if you build microbes in the soil the cows eat that and then when you eat the beef there's like microbes in your gut which is good so yeah wow that's, that's super cool. cool yeah it's super cool and by it's always you always feel super defensive as like a beef rancher but like if you can find the right one buy local beef they're doing it good yeah it's always like a slightly touchy subject but it's yeah, like totally. sometimes it's good not always it's good but sometimes it's good yeah um yeah what was the question um <laughs> how it's practiced today oh, and then okay. i just threw in i just wanted to ask about that because i was interested but yeah oh, just yeah. how it's practiced like um, modernly in general so cowboying is um, a lot of the same work for ranching or cowboying. Like if you took someone out of the 1870s and stuck them on like a cowboy outfit today, they would recognize like 95% of it. And like very little has changed in terms of like the saddle or the work you use. And definitely like the seasonal work and that, that you're doing is pretty much identical. The calves still need to be weaned and everything still needs to be brought down off pasture and stuff. Um, our cows are now going to be better vaccinated and I think we treat our horses a little better, but mm. that's kind of the main way it's practiced. Cowboying is a very small world and so is ranching. And it's actually funny once you, if you are gay and you're also in that, it's just a microcosmically <laughs> small world. <laughs> uh, yeah. It was like, there was a sidebars like there's this like Instagram app called like personals where like LGBT people can like post a little yes, like yes I saw you on there did you? oh my god really oh yes my god. No, nobody go find that yes <laughs> like, I was like because I was like oh my god if I'm ever in Austin visiting my brother I have to go <laughs> see you <laughs> okay so there was that one and but like somebody had messaged I think somebody had like messaged me being like hi I work in ranching too and I was like that's so cool and then turns out they knew somebody who was a trans man who worked in Wyoming as a cowboy mm. and that person is best friends with this guy and we used to work for the same company oh my god <laughs> same ranch and it's just and like him and me are really good friends and he was like and the, anyway it's just it's stupid how small it is and like everyone knows everyone after a while <clears throat> but even if you're not gay um in which case I'm sorry so but, sorry uh, <laughs> so sorry for your loss honestly <laughs> even if you're not gay then like you work I, I literally I work in I worked there for like a year a year and a half and then you just start to hear the same names after a while and like and like oh so-and-so down there is doing that and be like oh yeah I'll be like oh I had a concert with so-and-so and be like oh I worked for his brother and now his sister is working for that person who I used to date like it's all just like everyone is so interconnected it's crazy yeah that's and, awesome but it's really cool too yeah it's really nice um 
So let's talk about the cowboy as like a mythic character. What's the deal and how has it been wrapped up in masculinity? Yeah, so the cowboy is kind of, in popular culture, he is kind of a mythical character in the same way that like Superman is kind of a mythical character. So we don't really have a single figure like we do have a Superman. But the cowboy that we kind of imagine is like this weird mix of like books and movie characters and actors and Halloween costumes. And they sort of just form this like shared glom of what we think of it. Um, John Wayne is obviously, he would be the closest we'd get to a single figure, mm. um, even though he never actually worked as a cowboy in his entire life. And he's also a white supremacist, so fuck John Wayne. Fuck John but, Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it definitely, even today, and even if you grow up ranching and stuff, there's definitely always this constant push-pull of reality and fantasy. Mm. And so even though like, what you literally wake up to go do in the morning could look like literally something out of a movie. Um, it's always kind of like the movie never shows how tiring it is and how disgusting it is and stuff like that, obviously. Um, and the nature of cowboying and ranching means that they're like, there is a very, very thin boundary between work and life if there is one at all. Mm. And so what I've kind of experienced is that like, if a cowboy is, if a, if a man working as a rancher or a cowboy, you, all the work that you're do or that you're doing is like, it kind of fits this very standardized definition of what we recognize as masculine. So you are outside, you're sweating a lot. There's like building muscles, you're doing hard work. You've got this threat of injury and dominion over animals. And the, the whole attitude of like being scared to death, but saddling up anyway, which is a John Wayne quote. But, um, <laughs> But you're doing that in your everyday life. And so that is a way to perform masculinity in this kind of weirdly authentic and yet still slightly performative way. Mm. Um, and I remember I was reading this book about um, the depiction of kind of the West in movies. And the author was describing how the male character will like, the reason he is so silent is because to be silent is to keep his like kind of his card close to his chest and because to show emotion is very feminine and he, she was talking about fictional characters but I was like I've literally worked with people who do that because to show emotion is feminine you know right and that's the same way that like films kind of mimic off of our own societal constructions anyway but um like there's this song that's really it's, it's, it's a decent song it's called the grandpa song by cody johnston and it's a country song about how he misses his granddad and it's quite sweet but the chorus goes there's men like john wayne augustus mccray the lone ranger and his indian friend but there will never be another man like him referring to his granddad and i've always thought it was like the weirdest line ever because all of those men that he listed are fictional so <laughs> like he's he's eulogizing his grandfather whom he loves but you're holding real life men up to the lives of entirely fictional characters yeah. so it's this weirdly like burdensome thing of like real men having to perform this like entirely fictional masculinity mm. and it's bizarre yes um and in a similar way um and just so our listeners know lucy's twitter is Cowboy is gender neutral, which is why we started it that way. But so I kind of wanted us to transition into talking about the connection between gender and cowboying. Yeah. Um, yeah. The screen name is Cowboy Gender Neutral. 
Yeah, I actually. Thank you. (laughs) When when Laura said your actual name that you were going to be on the podcast, I did not know who you were. And then when I saw (laughs) Laura tweet it, I was like, oh, I know Cowboy's gender neutral. (laughs) (laughs) I've been debating debating recently switching it to like LaCroix Cowboy, but Mm. I like Cowboy's. I dig that That's, too. I mean, yeah, those are both really good. <laughs> Definitely dig yeah. that too. <laughs> I wanted to get that as my actual like username, but somebody took it, the bastard. So, um, okay, so gender cowboying. So definitely, like when I first started branching, I was like completely taken aback because I've never really come up against like gender binaries that are like h- harshly defined as I have in like general, quote unquote, mainstream ranching culture, um, and it's partly because like a lot of it is very kind of like conservative and a lot of it does have like a very kind of like Protestant Christian upbringing, which I think reinforces those binaries. Um, but when you kind of look at it as a whole, having those gender roles so harshly delineated is bizarre because there is genuinely nothing in cowboying that only men can do. Like some things require physical strength, but it's not a lot of it. It's like you, if you're just doing this kind of job anyway, you'll just get stronger and like the like the only thing and like I'm slightly biased because I'm like five foot eight and I've been like athletic my whole life but like even if you're shorter and lighter than me it's like the most the heaviest thing you have to pick up is like a tub full of mineral and like you can just either use a tool for it or like get someone else to pick it up for you or do it with a friend like there's like there's this idea that it's kind of like a man's only job but like Besides picking heavy things up, like riding, roping, fencing, shoeing horses, uh, fixing irrigation, fixing a truck, like all of that is completely able to do by everyone. Totally. And yeah, and it's it's partly like there is this kind of thing of like, especially when uh, young women like maybe start in ranching if they didn't grow up with it. There's definitely like a, a weird thing that you notice where like girls and women aren't used to taking up for themselves kind of and I've worked with um, kind of young women who are starting this for the first time and you kind of have to teach them like, no, no, you, you can do it. Like, don't wait for a friend. Don't wait for a guy to come on and help you out. Like, it's very easy. You can just pick it up and do it. Hell yeah. um, cool. And we should do that more. Yeah, um, never wait for men to come pick things up for you. Yeah. <laughs> just or as a general rule for everyone. <laughs> yeah, or maybe you do, but then like send them away immediately. But like, that's all I need. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> please leave now thank you <laughs> that's what you're good for anyway um, <laughs> um sorry um, no sorry <laughs> definitely not for that so with the whole cowboys gender neutral this kind of took me a long time to kind of figure out but like even when i started when i like didn't know anything about it it's always been weird being called a cowgirl mm. and a lot of women i know it's similar like um I know, like, a lot of women I follow online or who I just have kind of met through work, like, they refer themselves as a lady cowboy or a cowboy girl um, because something about the term just always rankles and it's really hard to pinpoint why. Mm. Um, and there's this really cool historian called Rebecca Schofield who's got a book coming out soon, which is all about um, rodeo and gender in the American West. And she kind of explains that cowgirls didn't really exist until the late 19th early 20th century when women started performing in wild west shows so they'd obviously been doing ranch work and they'd been doing cowboying that whole time women have always been out there but that's when the term kind of like came into popular use and so they were on the wild west shows they're mainly like trick riders and like performers 
And so they're incredibly talented, incredibly brave and strong, but um, they didn't have the kind of manual labor out of their everyday reputation that the men did. Mm. So that's partly why the term um, has like a weird history, but also like nowadays, if someone says cowgirl, like I feel like one of the first connotations is like the sex position, like mm. reverse cowgirl. So it's always super sexualized when someone calls you that. And I don't know, there's like a few people maybe who like do rodeo who are happy being called a cowgirl, but it's, it's pretty rare. Um, and so cowboying has like, it's got the verb, it's got the history, it's got all the kind of labor connotations with it. So that's why I'm always a big advocate, like cowboys gender neutral, because mainly because straight men just stay being disgusting when they say cowgirl so mm. i'm gonna take you instead yeah fuck yeah <laughs> yeah of course as as soon as you put like girl at the end of the word they're like hot sounds hot <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay cal- calm down <laughs> take it easy buddy okay <laughs> oh god yeah. um yeah so transitioning flawlessly from that into um <laughs> therefore since men are not even good for picking things up what is the relationship between queerness and cowboying um so yeah so just like how women have always been out in the west doing everything uh there's always been queerness and lgbt people out in the west doing everything and when you're looking at kind of cowboy history as kind of it might get taught as we kind of understand it um especially when you're kind of looking at like how we view history now versus then. Uh, I think looking at cowboys, it's, you got to remember that like what we kind of define as like homosexuality as like an orientation wasn't necessarily how people thought of it then. Like sometimes I think homosexual acts were just kind of thought of as like acts and they didn't have this whole mentality of like being tied with your personhood, which is obviously it's tied with all kind of all all the fucked up things as well. But right. um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Point being, gay people have always been cowboys and vice versa. So if, partly because like if you're hiring a bunch of men, mainly young men, in to work in a remote area by their own for a long period of time, like they're going to form intimate relationships. And totally. there was when Alfred Kinsey published a report on male sexuality in the 20th century, he had apparently interviewed a bunch of cowboys in the West and apparently, like, a third of them very matter-of-factly reported they had homosexual encounters. And they're just kind of like, yeah, what about it? It's, it's nor. It's just, <laughs> it's just Amazing. And um, I don't know if you guys have heard of Wyatt Earp. He's, like, a Western kind of legendary figure. He's a real person, but he's kind of just, like, mythical figure mm-hmm. of, like, the shootout in OK Corral. <clears throat> um, he, so his, he's got this whole, like, it's a, maybe this is a tangent. But he, like his partner, which is a funny term because it works in both ways. <laughs> his partner was this guy called Doc Holiday, and they like did this big shootout in Arizona. It's a big deal. But Doc Holiday was in Arizona because he had tuberculosis. He's from the Northeast, like Boston, something like that. And by all accounts from the time, Doc Holiday was like thin and kind of sickly, and he wasn't a really like strapping manly man, which Wyatt Earp was. Um, but basically Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday were in like a quote homosocial relationship, but it was not discussed today. Mm. But so even though Doc Holliday was this kind of like ween thin little guy, Wyatt Earp described him once as quote long, lean and ash blonde, which is (laughs) 
Like that's how I describe my best friends. Is Absolutely. Like, <laughs> and Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday shared a bed for like over a year. Yes. But, <laughs> and but now Wyatt Earp in like contemporary like um storytelling, like he is just like absolutely like like heartbringer of like heterosexuality and he's like big strapping dude and like he he had a boyfriend just like everyone else did. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Gay cowboys everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and then for like within my experience specifically, um, I'm a lesbian and um, lesbians often have in my kind of my research and my experience like lesbianism can have like a different relationship to kind of womanness and being a woman than straight women. Um, Monique Wittig, who's a lesbian historian and scholar, has this theory that like under heteronormative patriarchy, lesbians aren't women because women has to be defined by a relationship to men. And so just by existing, lesbians refute that. Mm. And we can debate that later. I don't know. But but I really liked reading that. It was just kind of very enlightening. And definitely living and working within cowboying, which is so gender defined, but doing it kind of as a gay woman who's like kind of just doesn't fit along with those by definition is always really, really weird. Mm. And there is a narrative about like women in ranching, which it has picked up recently. There's a New York Times article about it. Go women in ranching. But a lot of the, a huge amount of the disc of the discussion about it is always kind of along this line of like, she can rope and ride as well as any man. And she can wear red lipstick and, or raise the children and, or cook for the whole crew while she's at it. Mm, and mm. It's really annoying, partly because like that's garbage and women everywhere are kind of subjected to these kind of like huge amounts of work that you have to do. But that's also like a very, very straight narrative because right, right. it's like performing for um, male desires and male wants and male needs. And lesbians have like, don't necessarily do that. And, but fun fact, another one yes. is. <laughs> this <laughs> um, whole episode is fun fact. Yes. <laughs> Um, one of the oldest ranches in New Mexico is one of the really old historic ranches called the Chase Ranch in Cimarron, in the northeast corner. And it was owned and run by a lesbian couple for over 60 years. And they were together for like, well, it's owned over for like 50 years. They were together for over 60 years. And they're called Gretchen Samus and Ruby Gobble. And they both died recently. But mm. they were just out there running this ranch together. And their brand was a little heart. It's adorable. <sighs> And they're both in the Cowgirl Hall of Fame. Hell and yeah. I love them a lot. And the ranch is actually now owned by the Boy Scouts of America, which is... Oh, no. It's a thing. It's, it's just happening. And I think when they, I think when the BSA does tours of the ranch, they don't mention that it was owned by lesbians. What the but fuck? Now, uh, what are you going to do? Let's just write them letters. Be like, hey... Yeah. Yo, what do you know about lesbians? Let's talk about it. Boy Scouts? I, I will vote for the next person who puts abolishing Boy Scouts in there. <laughs> yeah, they might do that by themselves. I heard yeah. I've heard they're on rocky feet right now. Anyway. Thank God. Um, <laughs> uh. But unless you're Gretchen Sammons and Ruby Gobble, um, it can, being LGBT in ranching and in ag, can be really difficult. Um, like, finding other LGBT people is, like, it can be difficult mm. and although that's not to say that there isn't uh plenty of people out there that obviously are but like um 
when you're kind of looking like if I'm 24, 25 and I think, all right, I like ag a lot. I want to stay in here for the next 10, 20, 30 years. I would like to have a partner to do it with me. And if I was straight, that would be much easier to do, basically, which sure. I know is not any new concept. But I think I do, I have seen like LGBT agrarians kind of move to city areas after a while just because it's so much harder to find partners in rural areas, which is sad because we should stay out here and stay on the land. But especially in the West, like in the Northeast, it seems there's more farmy lesbians. But out West, everything True. is just spread out. <laughs> 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 you know, I know whenever there's like Instagram groups about like lesbian farmers they're like all in Maine <laughs> yes also central New York <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly Buffalo or something <laughs> I don't know that uh, one thing that is a uh, bomb to that is the International Gay Rodeo Association mm. and super cool and if you are straight you should support it and if you are gay you should go to it and it's basically uh, they have chapters all around the US and Canada uh, they started in 19, 1985 and they just kind of put on rodeos at events and build community all around rodeo. And it's great because rodeo is, standard rodeo is, like, again, severely gender divided. Women can barrel race and they can pole bend, which is like going in and out of poles. And men can do everything else. And men can't do the women's events and women can't really do the men's events. Mm. And so the men get to like rope and bull ride and bronc ride and wrestle cows to the ground and do everything else and women can like just do barrel racing which is stupid but um at the igra uh, everyone can do everyone so men can barrel race and women can bull ride and it's awesome hell yeah and they'll also do like king and queen shows in but drag king and queen shows so they'll have drag kings and drag queens of the rodeo and it's just super super great and i recommend it yes and and they're like I've been to a few of their events and they're always great but like that again there is always just like a slight just like a little bit like of like a red exclamation point in the back of your head because you're like what if there's some fucker out there who like you know especially because with rodeo because it's such a display of like straight men doing like being a strong and displaying all the prowess that they can so when you get women and gay men doing that it rankles a lot of feathers and so yeah, support the IGRA because they're the best. Mm -hmm. I really want to go to a gay rodeo now. Yeah, you that sounds so fun. <laughs> I love that. It's great. They also they have this. They make up a couple of their own events well as well. And one of the ones that they do is called um, the Wild Goat Race. And it's you and a partner, and somebody has a goat on a leash at the other end of the arena. <laughs> you and your partner have to run up to the goat, grab it hold it upside down, and someone puts a pair of tidy whities on it, and then they have to run back as fast as they can. <laughs> oh, my God. It's <laughs> amazing. And it's, the, it's the best because, like, when you put the goat down, it has, like, this just look of complete bewilderment on its face. And, like, <laughs> the goat's fine. It's just, like, just stands on its front legs for, like, two seconds. Amazing. Really good. <laughs> I, was, I was actually at, a, at a, the one in New Mexico this summer, and I, they had this belt buckle for sale that was like this huge gold belt buckle, like the size of your hand. And I was so close to buying it because it had like a bull's head. And then behind the bull's head was like all these rainbow feathers. Yes. And it was $100. And I very nearly spent $100 on a gay belt buckle. <laughs> <laughs> worth it. Would have been worth it. <laughs> what are some things that movies get right or wrong about cowboy culture? And are there any movies that you would recommend? Um, so I'm 
A, I'm not a movie person at all, so I'm terrible to ask about this. But I will say, just to be entirely predictable, is Brokeback Mountain. Being <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's like you should. Everyone should also read the short story by Annie Annie P R O U L X. I don't know how you say that. Um, it's in a book of, called Close Range, which is another collection of Wyoming short stories. It's beautiful. But I think I genuinely think like that Brokeback Mountain. That movie is so beautiful and so sad, and fantastic. And obviously, we need more gay happy endings, but it's also quite good. But, um, like, particularly the way that movie is, um, Ang Lee, I think, is the director. I don't know. But it kind of shows cowboying and the working West in this way that you hardly ever see it, in that it's very unromanticized, it's very unglamorous. And parts of it are so accurate. Like, the way Jack and Ennis dress and the way Jack dresses as he gets older, the way Ennis folds his hat is, like... Like, I feel like I've known people who look and act just like them. Mm. And my friend who's from Wyoming and uh, she's queer and she says that in Wyoming, it's got like a cult following. She's just like, she knows people who have like tattoos of Jack and Ennis like on their back because it's like such a big deal. Oh my um, God. <laughs> <laughs> and so it sounds great. Um, and then... The only other show that I know about is the show on Netflix called Godless, mm. which is like a short little series. And it's about a mining town in Colorado where all the men die in a mine explosion. So it's just women. Mm. And there's, like a, there's like a side story about like a man and his father figure, but no one cares about that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the mining town sure does get gay and it sure is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, uh, it's like a fun little, it's a good little romp of a show. I really like it. The music is really, really beautiful. I am um, actually the, the album from like the score of that movie, the show was like my most played album last year because if I was like out riding by myself, sometimes you get bored and I was like, I would just play the soundtrack just to make it feel a little bit punchy. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, want, I, lo- I love a good utopian story where it starts with they're not being men anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a genre I enjoy. <laughs> Um, mostly like sci-fi stuff, but yeah, Brokeback Mountain was like the only reference I had for information on this episode. And I was going to ask about it specifically, but I was like, uh, this is like, you know, maybe cliche. I watched it at like an eighth grade sleepover or yeah. So I know I watched it at a slumber party. Dang. (laughs) Hell yeah. Um, let's see. I think we're going to do some Twitter cues. Yes. Right. Okay. Um, I don't have the name. I don't know who asked this. Someone on Twitter asked. Um, I think it would be super interesting to analyze um, Mitski's use of cowboy and the relationship queer women have to Mitski and in relating to that themselves, too. I also would thank you, Twitter person. I love Mitski. I've seen her live in, like, four different cities. Same. Um, I, like, big, big longtime fan. So I'm very I'm excited to talk about this. Yeah, um, I just I just looked up. That was Lucy at Lucy Mooring. So thanks at Lucy Mooring. Thanks. Um, uh, yeah, I I don't know as much about Mitski as I should, but I will say I <laughs> there's no should. It's fine. Okay, um, uh, it's Mitski though. I listen to like the same three albums over and over. That's I'm really boring. But um, I did actually I did actually kind of look up how she came up with that title like a while ago because I was interested in, in like how she kind of came with that word. And she does, there's a, uh, an article where, by Vinyl Me Please, where she kind of says she wanted to work with the figure of the cowboy as his ultimate symbol of white American masculinity and power. 
she's got a quote that says, in a situation, I should just forget that I'm an Asian woman and just be like, what would a cowboy do in this situation? And he'd be like, I ain't going to take that shit. And that's how she kind of, I think that's kind of an embodiment of the, like the persona and the power that she is working with in the album. Is that correct? I haven't listened to the whole album, to be honest. Yeah, I'm that's like those, that. um, there's like tote bags and stuff that are like, wish I had the confidence of a mediocre white man. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of like, that's basically what she's saying. But yeah. it's cool that she chose cowboy as like the symbol. I like that. Yeah, I think cowboy is like mediocre white man to the power of 10. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, she's so just much confidence. Is... Is so undeserved. Yes. <laughs> and she's just really good at kind of pushing those boundaries in general. Like, even when she came out with bury me at makeout creek like the interviewer was saying that this like i read an interview that she did on that album and the interviewer was saying that that album was such a departure from her earlier albums and i think um you know her perspective of not working within the confines of her music program in school and breaking out in this like really bold like um almost like orchestral way and is just like I think a way that she embodies like this, like huge persona um, and has that Mm -hmm. vibe of being a cowboy. And then also because like we talk about class on this podcast all the time, I would just like to say from a class perspective that Mitski has a song called Jobless Monday, which is just like one of the best songs that she has. And there's just a line that says, fuck you and your money. I'm tired of your (laughs) money. And it's absolutely incredible. So comrade Mitski. Thank you for your service, and we appreciate you continuing the revolution. <laughs> she oh, yeah. also has the um, Kill Me in Jerusalem song. Yes. Like, yeah, Comrade Mitski over here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there are, um, briefly talking about class, there are some Comrade Cowboys, too. There was a strike for Cowboys in 1883. Yeah. Hell, yeah. They just kind of gathered together because they had, like, low wages and terrible conditions. But there was... Unfortunately, a bunch of scab cowboys who just took their jobs, Fuck. so it didn't last very long. Uh, like, uh, of course, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Don't be a scab. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, and then there was another question that just kind of, like, someone was just mentioning, like, tight pants and boots and tassels on their shirts with lots of bling. <laughs> I mean, it's like yeah. we kind of talked about, about the fashion. That's true. Yeah, I think that specifically is more rodeo fashion. Um, like when you're working kind of on a ranch, you do want to be comfortable. Right. So when you've got like the extra tight shaps and the extra tassels and the bling, that's definitely for when you're in an arena and you want to show off. <laughs> um, but like men dressing for rodeo is like another weird thing of masculinity because while the kind of ranch cowboy is like very muted tones and like he's covered in dust and he works so hard, right. like rodeo cowboy kind of performs that through like the biggest pair of shaps they can find that are right. like four feet and they might be like purple leather with like <laughs> rhinestones on them and they might have like zebra hide on them or something like that and it's just, <laughs> <laughs> rodeo shaps get really tacky really fast <laughs> yeah but it's just another way to kind of flaunt your punchiness and your swagger and your prowess and stuff like that totally um and then you know as our like kind of final wrapping up like are there things that you want to shout out is there stuff that you want to uplift like before we close out for the episode um yeah definitely uh everyone should be looking up like cowboy poets and cowboy musicians adrian buckaroo girl is my fave and um uh if i could do a self shout out as well hell yeah 
is um, I am the art director of a new literary arts journal called Contraviento. And we are a literary arts journal about rangelands. And the only one that in existence that we know of that's so themed. And so all of the art and writing that we hope to get is going to be about like either your experiences in from working on driving through rangelands all around the world. So like prairie, steppe, desert, tundra, moors, savannah, doesn't matter. Um, we're hoping to kind of just like gather submissions, just kind of reflecting on that or talking about it or looking at it in any way. And so if you have anything to say, even if you just like drove through Kansas one time and thought it was pretty cool or not cool, don't care, send <laughs> stuff in to contrabientogeneral.com and we have emails and stuff like that. And yeah, the editor that I'm working with is this great guy and he works a lot more with writing and I work a lot with art and I think he's doing really well gathering like white writing submissions. So I want to get like a lot, a lot of art submissions too. So definitely send your art in, send your writing in too. But I definitely want to see the art too, because we can do both. Hell yeah. And, uh, yeah, we can put that link in the description. So if people have, yeah, yeah if you want to submit, we'll have that Absolutely. for you. Yeah, on Instagram, Contraviento Journal. Our Twitter is uh, Contra underscore underscore Viento. And watch this space. It's going to be cool. Yeah. And doing like a little dance that y'all can see but, <laughs> um, and then I guess the last thing is that like if anyone who's listening or anything like is interested in cowboying and ranching if any because like a lot of people are like oh like I wish I could be a cowboy but it's like that's what I said four years ago and then you can do it like I'm an art student and I grew up in London and <laughs> I, if, I, if I can do it anyone can do it like it's so if you are, if are you listening are interested in cowboying or ranching or agriculture or anything please shoot me a message or something and I will happily share any and all resources I have for like apprenticeships or just more information or just good cowboy music and podcasts to listen to just to soak it all up because it's super fantastic and um, the average age of the American farmer is 62 so we need to get more young people into ranching and oh agriculture. My God. <laughs> I yeah. keep yeah I consistently <laughs> say I'm gonna just like leave my life in the city and go like live on a ranch so you know. I might be hitting you up soon. Yeah. yeah. And also, if you're interested in like sustainable ranching and regenerative ranching, like the other stat is that like 40% of land or something in the US is in ag. So it's a fantastic way if you care about how our land use is happening and how our food is going to start getting produced, especially with our 12 year deadline. Mm. Ag is super important. Yeah. I feel like my and mood would skyrocket if I left the city to, <laughs> to be on a ranch to do some cowboying. I need oh, to yeah. think about my life. <laughs> I will say, whenever I'm in the city, it is really nice being like, wow, it's not a 40-minute drive to get a Starbucks. Or something totally. Like. Yeah, it's true. You do get tired of that a little bit, but the rest of it's nice. You get to see the moon every day. Yeah, I just feel like I'd be a lot less cranky. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule of doing all the things uh, to talk with us. Like, this was really awesome. And we, I learned so much about so yeah. many things. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Also. This is so, this is like, I've been such a fan, like since day one. And I had this like job in California this fall. And I would literally be like feeding the horses and like playing in my, playing season of the bitch episodes through my phone and being like, ah. oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, to be blushing. <laughs> so genuinely a little bit of a dream come true and I'm extremely happy about it. What? And thank you all for, <laughs> thank you all for all the incredible work you've been doing because it's 
just an amazing set of people that you brought onto the show. Well, thank you so much, Lucy. We really appreciate it. Thank you. So that was our show. As always, you can reach us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Season of the Bee. You can send us your music, your ideas, or reach out to us if you have stuff you want to talk to us about at seasonofthebee at gmail.com. We have merch on our website, seasonofthebee.com. We have new Patreon shit coming down the pipes. Uh, if you sign up to be a Patreon supporter before the end of March, uh, and if we have at least 100 people that do that, we're going to do a 420 episode. Uh, <laughs> very stoned for our Patreon, uh, our Patreon supporters. So you should do that because it's going to be ridiculous and fun. Um, and then I think that's all. Oh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> I like want to be able to do that episode. So if you could just please go on Patreon. Um, thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, I love you, Zoe. Love you. Oh, my gosh. Just Lauren Zoe hour. <laughs> just, just Lauren Zoe hour. Take over. <laughs> love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Season of the Bitch. <laughs>